if your players see you enthusiastic about trying to help them get better, especially young kids, I think that's the best way to try to reach them, to help them develop. So I think as coaches, we're all accountable for the energy we bring to the, the training or practice on a daily basis. This is the Reform Sports Project, a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Hi, this is Nick Bonacore from the Reform Sports Project podcast. With me today is the new head baseball coach of the six-time national champions, LSU Tigers, Jay Johnson. Coach Johnson is the reigning Pac-12 Baseball Coach of the Year and led Arizona to a conference championship and birth in the College World Series in 2021. Jay and I talk about everything from sequential learning and how to keep kids engaged to his blueprint for moving forward and losing for learning. Man, I am fired up again. I have another just ridiculous guest. So fired up to have him. I spoke before. Uh, touched on a lot of things, but really excited to dig in here a little bit deeper. New head coach for the LSU Tigers, head baseball coach, Coach Jay Johnson. Coach Johnson, man, thanks so much for hopping on, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. No doubt, man. I know you got a day off today. You're you're ramping up for the season, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, as we kind of touched on a little bit off air, you know, we're, we're talking about youth sports athletic development. I'll often hear, you know, parents of youth athletes ask some of these higher echelon folks who deal with college and pro athletes, what can I incorporate in my practice plan at my 10U practice that you use at the college level? And oftentimes I hear some of these folks who say, man, I really wouldn't do much. I mean, you're talking about apples and oranges there. So, you know, you're coaching the LSU Tigers, you're in the SEC, you're trying to get to Omaha every year and win national titles. If you were to literally say, hey, I want to start over my career and I want to coach youth baseball, 12U, whatever the case is. What would your approach be? Would it be more towards development, winning? Can you just start there, kind of tell how you would approach coaching at the youth level? Yeah, for sure. I think if you're, no matter what age player you're talking about, the college player, uh, the youth player, 10, 11, 12 years old, if you're talking about being in a math class, um, I've always believed in this concept of sequential learning. And having an organized teaching plan where you can't get to step C before going through A or B. And I had a really good mentor in, in Rich Hill when I worked for him at the University of San Diego. And his concept was always about cutting things in half and mastering that. And that you cannot proceed uh, to the next layer of development until you've mastered the one in, in front of you. And that's monotonous. But if you think about the game of baseball, it is a game of monotonous repetition. So I think repetition is great, you know, for young players, obviously within reason. But I think really having a deliberate plan uh, in sequential order will help make the young player a uh, good learner. So that's the first thing. Secondly, I don't think anybody in life accomplishes great things or improvement or elite status without passion. And I think that if you can develop a love for the game in young people based on how you teach them, it will produce a lot better results. They'll look forward to going to that baseball practice or training session. They'll look forward, you know, to putting on their their cleats and and pulling that baseball hat down over their head and running out onto the field. So I think any way that you can, you know, establish passion and any way you can establish um, a process of learning and development and make it really organized and stick to it, uh, I think that gives you a good chance of success. Now, your question about... um, winning at all costs versus development. There's no question, I think, that the younger age levels, development 
is really, really important and more important. I think um, there's not all bad in competition. I think, you know, when you talk about uh, winning and losing, adversity and success, learning how to deal with both for young people is not necessarily a bad thing. I think keeping those things in perspective, though, really important. That's a great point. And it's kind of like where I was, as you were mentioning, you know, when you're talking about development and keeping kids developing a passion, and, I, and I've been guilty of this, man. You know, I have my oldest is 16 and I have a younger, you know, I have six kids. My youngest is three and a half. And I kind of did it a little bit different, I think, because, you know, it's easy to get caught up in wins and losses. Now, I think there's a difference between, you know, teaching kids how to compete to win in a healthy way. I think competition in a healthy way at any age is, is, is vital to development. But there's different ways to approach that. And one of the ways that you find in youth, particularly baseball, is people often keep kids, their best players, at the most skilled positions. You know, like say you're a 10, 11, 12U team. You got your best athlete, you put them at shortstop or pitcher or catcher or first base, right? Those positions that are going to more likely get you out. And then oftentimes you may take your kids who are behind and put them in positions where there's not as much activity, which in turn, you might find some kids that may lose interest. How important is it to keep that kid's active engagement by maybe moving positions around? Isn't that part of developing? And maybe you might suffer some losses, but I mean, I think the weight of keeping maybe the kid actively engaged in developing a passion may outweigh that, you know, winning perspective. A thousand percent. I think, you know, talking about that deliberate practice or development or sequential learning, I think keeping the, the training and the practice is fun is equally important in doing that. You know, how can you capture their attention? I think, you know, the age old just standing in front of them and talking and explaining, you know, with attention spans being very small is not always the best way. Can you create some type of competition or rotation or engagement from the player, you know, in the practice setting that keeps their interest? And then if we're talking about a fall youth baseball game, I mean, winning and losing, it's great for them to learn how to deal with both. But in terms of the actual result, I think you're probably better served to give young kids an opportunity and and see what they could do and help them develop and, and help create that a passion for, for learning and developing and, and for the game of baseball because it's hard enough as it is. I mean, it's it's one of those things that, you know, you hear the old adage, it's built around failure, it lends itself to failure. So you're already dealing with that element and that can distract kids in their own right because everybody wants to be good at what they do. So keeping their interest is really important and then I think it helps them deal with the, the failure element of baseball better. You know, people often say, well, you know, unless you're a baseball person, it's very easy to look at the sport, particularly at the youth level, and watch a practice, and kids will get bored if someone doesn't really know how to, you know, the driver of Little League Baseball, right, you know, where it's, you know, more recreational, is driven by volunteers. So a lot of coaches at times are dads, moms, who don't really have the experience, of course, like you or even myself, who played at a relatively high level, how to keep that engagement. So a lot of kids are standing around. You know, so people will say, let's get to the field, let's roll out a bucket of balls, let the kids warm up, and then, like you said, talk to him about different things and then uh, let's throw batting practice while half the team stands in the outfield and tries to catch the balls. I think that's the worst practice possible. It's the most boring and unproductive. But again, I have a background in it. What are some ways that you think it's a good, like drills, for instance, or ways to maybe run a practice plan at a young level to keep kids engaged? And, and I also love what you said. Kids love to compete. Find ways to make competition out of different drills. What are some things that you have experienced with that may translate you know, to the youth level? Yeah, I think a couple things, um, anything that you can surround around the concept of this is fun, that grabs their attention. This may not be specific to, you know, really young kids, but even college age players, high school age players, 
probably even say it's moved into the junior high realm. What I've noticed about this generation is they love watching themselves. So if you incorporated some kind of video of a skill you were teaching, and then you took a, a just a cell phone video of each player during practice doing the skill that you're working and teaching and showing them a good rep, and this is what we want this to look like, it immediately draws them into what you're doing. And so maybe that's one idea. You know, we mentioned the competition thing. Everybody wants to be on the winning team. Well, you could set up your drills in a way where, you know, you split your team into two squads and each squad is getting points for, you know, making a hard contact or, you know, the fielding percentage game in the, in the field and competing against each other and seeing them, you know, rise. So, you know, I think there's a lot of ways you can do it. I think, um, Anything that can be built around fun, I think something that I even drill into our coaches all the time is it takes a lot more energy to be positive and and really engaging on a daily basis. And if your players see you enthusiastic about trying to help them get better, especially young kids, I think that's the best way to try to reach them to help them develop. So I think as coaches, we're all accountable for the energy we bring to the the training or practice on a daily basis. How do you? What are ways that you? Uh... I'm listening to you. I'm going, man, there's so many ways that you could pull out so much value from a practice or from a game or whatever and any sport. But the word teammate, right? How do you, you know, sometimes people, I was actually asked this on Twitter recently, is being a good teammate a teachable skill? And I sit there and the gentleman asked me was like, he struggles with it. Some kids seem to get it easier than others. I, for one, think it's very teachable and it should be taught. What are your thoughts on teaching kids how to be great teammates and how are ways that you can go about doing that? It's a great question, and I think you hit on it. It's a learned skill. I, I talk to our team a lot about this, and I think this applies to youth players too, is if I have something I want them to do, if I have a, this is going to be our process of winning, let's call it, these are the things that we need to do, yet we don't train or practice those I don't have any right to expect them to be able to know what to do or handle situations or execute those things. So I'm like, I become that teacher that puts everything on the test that wasn't in the book or you didn't cover in class. We've all been there, right? Like, that's not really fair. So I think that applies to being a good teammate. And I hear a lot of coaches will talk about, hey, this player is selfish. This player is all about themselves. They don't care about the team. You know, it's all about them. Yet they don't do anything to train being a good teammate. And I agree with you, Nick. I think that's a learned skill. Uh, this past weekend, you know, I had one of my best friends in here, Dean Wellums, um, from uh, Team Elite, and he he worked with our players, and and we basically were working towards getting them connected, and and that in itself lends itself to placing the needs of the team above their own, and you have to have this kind of servant type mentality to be able to do that, but if we don't show them how to do it and examples of it, you can't expect players or young players to know how to do that and I think just even in a a youth practice you know being able to get some type of activity going of like hey you guys are split up into squads you know this is going to be your group this is going to be your group you got to work together to figure out how to win how to make this thing go you have to figure out how to pull for your teammate as much as you want yourself to be successful and if you think about it like the first 12 let's say 14 years of your life you're a young person, you're kind of just 
trying to stay alive. Like without your parents, you're probably not going to stay alive. So that is kind of a selfish endeavor. So it's not anybody's fault. That's kind of how we start out life. You just have to kind of take care of yourself first. So learning how to take care of other people, which is growing up and maturing, that's essential in becoming a, a good teammate. But the earlier some of those lessons can be taught, they could have a better, better society in a lot of ways. When we come back, Coach Johnson and I discuss how sport teaches more than just physical skills. Where we left off, Coach Johnson and I were about to discuss the life skills kids learn from sports and how they can extract the most out of their athletic experiences. I often say, and I think it's important because you do find a lot of volunteer coaches who really don't have a background in the game, but they're great people and they find ways to help make it a positive experience for the kids. But yet you'll have parents say, ah, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know the game. And I'm sitting here going, well, he's given up. He or she is giving up their time and they're fostering a great environment for these kids to have fun. If you have to volunteer, your, your organization needs a coach. I don't think you should back away from that if you have the right intentions on trying to foster a great environment. I feel like there's enough information out there uh, where you can find little skills and drills. But if you really want to help kids get better and prepare them for, let's say, the next level or you know just become better overall people, I think there's other ways you could do that outside of just the skill-specific things that sport teaches, particularly in baseball. I agree 1,000%, and any of us to be better at our craft as coaches, we have to put the time into figuring out how we can do our job better to help our our pupils or our players, and I think that's whether you're a little league coach, whether you're a high school coach, a college coach, you're running a, a company. I mean, leadership is about positively affecting other people. And so I'm always looking for any way I can to help our, our team get better, find successful people at what I do and, and really look across other sports. How can I get my messaging across to our players in a more effective way so they can become really, really good learners? And so I commend the youth coach that will go to a coach's clinic and just try to learn some new drills and, and learn some new things. And, uh, that's really awesome that they're willing to invest their time because at that level, they're probably not doing it for a ton of money. And so they're just trying to help, you know, youth and society be better. And so for me, that's that's it. Pouring yourself into how can you become better yourself to help the people around you get better. We touched on the competition aspect of it. And can you kind of dig in a little bit? Because this is a, a line that people struggle with understanding, right? Focusing so much on outcome and performance. And while there's definitely a scoreboard, and I think scoreboards are important, you know, you can lose a close game and compete your rear end off and be a great competitor. Being a great competitor doesn't necessarily mean you're always victorious. But can you talk about what it means to compete and be a great competitor? And maybe how just by focusing on that, how can I be the best teammate, be the best competitor I can, how that can can, you know, correlate after, you know, putting a body of work together into better results, but not always looking at the scoreboard going, we won or lost. Sure, we may have won or lost, but was I a great competitor? Did I have a great energy? The controllables versus the things that you can't control, which are the outcomes? Yeah, I think that's a really important lesson. I think it's important to kind of define what that looks like. And I think I heard a guy named Bruce Brown long time ago. It's like one of the first ABCA conventions I went to. And as coaches, we, I don't want to say dwell on the negative, but we're always looking to correct. But he, he had a phrase that I really like that I still try to do to this day is like, catch them doing it right. And so if you see a great effort of focus, of competing, of really being engaged with young players, I think it's important as coaches that we really reinforce that. 
you, you, you pull a player aside, you send him a text message later that night, hey, I'm really proud of how focused you were, how much intent you had with what you did, how you competed, and really try to encourage him. And the word I'll use a lot with our players is that's the blueprint for moving forward. That's what I want you. I want you to lock this in. And this is the new standard for you for whatever skill it is. You know, it might be a physical skill, but you can certainly throw competing and, and focusing into that realm also. You say lock in, man, and, and you're, you get me charged up when you say that because that is a learned skill. Now, again, we're kind of scaling up here a little bit age-wise, but you talk about competing in the SEC, and I want to kind of move a little bit because, you know, people want to know how kids can develop, and, and we're talking about physical, we're talking about mental, we're talking about all those things, but there's also an element of intent, and you brought that up too, and I think that's a learned skill, man. I wish I can go back in time and repeat my, you know, athletic or even my <laughs> academic career uh, with the knowledge I have now as a 42-year-old, like a lot of us could, but um, you know, you're know, you distracted. How are ways that, that parents and, and coaches could teach kids how to lock in to get focused? Kids' social life in high school and even in middle school are important to them, you know, as they should be. But what are ways in which we can encourage them in a positive way to still stay, you know, make sure that they're cognizant of the importance of their social life while still keeping them focused on, let's say, the task at hand, locking in on the importance of them developing in their academics and their school without making it daunting? Yeah, it's a great question, and I think it probably depends on what age that you're talking about dealing with. Let's say high school. Let's say high school. Yeah, okay, that's 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 good. So for we just kind of went through an exercise like this with our team. We talked about okay, what could take us off the path that we want to stay on, and and use the word distraction, and it's a perfect. And, and young people today have a lot of distractions. And so what we did is we identified, you know, let's say eight to 10 things that could be a distraction. And so I think the first thing is is recognizing them. And I think this is a a leadership thing for sure is trying to anticipate problems before they happen and put solutions in place so they don't happen. So we did this exercise where we there's eight or 10 things that could become obstacles, if you will. Then underneath them, you write the solutions or the strategies or whatever you want to call it to get out ahead of those things. And I think when there's structure, when there's some type of plan, I think at least in dealing with young males, that goes a long way in, in helping you know the lows not become so low because you've identified what could be an issue and then you have a plan of attack to keep you on the straight path so the small thing doesn't become a big thing, if that makes sense. No, I think it makes a ton of sense. And my wife and I try to do that as much as she's a teacher. And I like to think that my experience from many screw ups and I had, you know, very engaged parents. I was very lucky in that regard. Help, I believe, prepare us for. But again, you get thrown curveballs as a parent. It's the, there's no there's no way to to navigate that. A lot of that is learning on the fly. So having these tools right in your tool belt are so important. And you know, a lot of kids will listen to this and parents and they are, they want to come play at LSU coach. They want to play in the SEC. They want to be college athletes. And I know that your path led you to JUCO. You were a heck of a player. You, you obviously are coaching at the highest level, but then you went on and you know, you even coached at NAIA. But like, how did your experience as an athlete prepare you for coaching? What are things that these kids can do to extract the most value they can out of their sport? Because let's face it, very, very, very few get drafted. Very few come play at LSU. Only 7% of high school kids play in college, period, at any level. But what are some of the things that they can do to extract the value, not just from a skill standpoint, but from a mental standpoint, and pull those lessons out and really appreciate the value? And I think you're speaking to the parents here because at times parents get lost in the scholarship and all this, but there's so many more things that kids are taking away from the sport experience than just the performance and the on the field stuff. 
Yeah, and I think this has changed a little bit, but there's so much value in being part of a team, first of all, where it's, it's not just about you. There's other people that your performance, your attitude, your decisions, they affect a lot of people when you're part of a team. And when you think about moving forward in your life and maybe being a parent, having a family, like as a parent, your decisions affect, you know, your family directly. And so I think the accountability piece and, and paying attention to that, I think, is really important. We already kind of touched on overcoming adversity and difficulty. And I think another one that I really try to do with my own life and then focus our players on is, you know, resisting, you know, the thought of complacency and, and like your past successes really don't have anything to do with what happens in the future. Or, or this thought of, you know, resting on your laurels is not, it's not going to help you if that's what you choose to do. Yeah. And so I think there's so many values that, that, that come from being an athlete that are relatable to growing up and to becoming a, a solid, you know, young man or young woman. And I think just paying attention. And, and that's where coaching and leadership comes in of teachable moments like, when things happen over the course of a game, course of a weekend, you know, really being able to say, hey, this is this is going to really be relatable for you. You may not get it right now, but you'll you'll look back to this and you'll be able to use this experience, this failure. Um, there's, there's a saying, you know, that, that Nick Saban says a lot of like, you know, they never want to waste a failure. And that's basically like you're using, let's just say losing for learning. And I think that's a really, really valid point. And I think it's, it's good to use winning for learning that. And you show up on Friday and you play a great game. The next day, those runs don't carry over to the next day. You know, you have to re-go through your process of preparation, of getting yourself ready to deserve success the next day. And so, you know, really this thought of having to bring it every single day, that's what separates the elite from everybody else. And I think those are really good lessons. I want to ask you one last thing. How do these kids get on your radar, right? I mean, obviously the, the talent piece, people say, oh, there's, so I hear some people say, you can, you know, you, you can't just be a great athlete and get seen. You got to go out there. You got to put yourself out there. Then I hear other coaches say, I, I interviewed uh, Coach Lossnagel the other day. He's like, there's very few secrets out there. How can these kids connect with you? How can they reach out and potentially get on the radar of LSU or any program? Well, I, I'm going to answer this question a little differently than you want me to, just because I believe in it so much. I think um, the world we live in now, it's, it's a results-based world, and that's true. But I think what gets lost is the improvement on a daily basis is more important than getting on somebody's radar. Because, you know, as you mentioned, there aren't a lot of secrets out there anymore. And developing yourself to be the best person, player that you can be will create the most opportunities for you. Whether it happens a little later, maybe the senior year instead of the freshman or sophomore year of high school, whether it happens as a junior college player, all of that is okay. You know, I, I'll use my team last year as an example. Um, you know, as a third baseman, you know, we recruited him when he was 15 years old. And, and so that's a six or seven year relationship, you know, that he was really talented at that age and it was easy to spot. We recruited him hard and we got him. The MVP of our regional was a guy that we picked up in the summertime through the transfer portal. There was a pitcher in our rotation that was a division three player that graduated and we got as a grad transfer one month before school starts. And so not everybody's journey is the same. 
I think if you can keep your head down, keep working, stay positive, focus on the things that are going to develop you, that gives you the best chance to create opportunities. Selfishly, D3 shout out. You just, you just made me, you made me, you pumped my (laughs) ego a little bit. I love that. Coach Johnson, LSU, baseball, I love it. I can't thank you enough for taking the time, man. I appreciate you. Good luck. You're going to crush it. I really look forward to following you, coach. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate you having me on. That's Jay Johnson, head coach of the storied LSU Tigers baseball team. Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Project podcast. I'm Nick Bonacore, and our goal is to restore a healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. For updates, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website by searching for the Reform Sports Project.